0: We live in a fast paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin.
1: Welcome to Master Your Life. I'm host Leah Mattinson, joined along with my wonderful co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. And this is a show where we ask you to consider who it is you are right now and who is it you want to be in your life. So without further ado, you, Howard, how has your week been?
2: Um, well, it's been recovering from coming back from a hurricane that uh, really didn't do any damage. A little bit of flooding here uh, in my area. We got another one coming, but it looks like it's <laughs> headed um, away from us, so that's good. So people have been a bit stressed out here, and. Uh, but we're getting back into the uh, swing of things. One of the things I've been doing this week, I've been writing some books, really about healthcare. And we've had many great guests on the show talk about what is needed in healthcare, where healthcare fails. Um, probably led by Dr. David Katz and his concept, of course, that that lifestyle is medicine. That if you do the right lifestyle behaviors, that will be even more effective than just taking medication, which is typically just solving or managing a symptom rather than getting to the heart of the problem. And I've been thinking a lot about this this week because there's things we know, and of course you know, we things we know about behavior change. It's clear that people with any number of different medical conditions um, need to their the primary need, maybe they need to get some symptomatic relief of the problem, but their primary need is to get healthy, healthy lifestyle. And we've talked about that endlessly on the show. But it seems to me that the medical model and the medical profession doesn't want to recognize that for whatever reason. So if you go to your doctor and he says, "Oh, looks like you've got diabetes. We need to, you need to lose some weight and start exercising," and you know, talk to my nurse and she's got a fact sheet of things you can eat and and what you can exercise, you know, and come back in two weeks, that is not coaching in a way that is effective. It just isn't. Yeah. I'm and wondering. we and, and and as you know, uh, coaching is really about. Getting people to do what they need to do. And that to me is the essence, really, of healthcare. And as I've thought about that, I've been discouraged to see that that just does not happen.
1: Yes. Yeah. And getting people to do what they need to do, I think, first of all, they need to, like, for some reason, people are so numbed out that they don't want to experience a whole bunch of joy in their own lives. Because that's the puzzling thing to me um, when I look at, like, people who are involved in the medical system. And I have many girlfriends that are um Like close girlfriends, we've been years, you know, friends for many years, who are struggling with very real, very difficult health problems, and also even my own children have gone through um, the difficulty of of health problems and trying to navigate the medical system. I don't know that it's much different in the U.S. and Canada. I think it's uh, very much the same. They pop in, you know, um, it's frustrating. The wait times are frustrating. It's frustrating to try and get the right test. The doctors don't want to listen to kind of you explain symptoms. Uh, of what you're experiencing and like that whole piece is missing as well of just actually really yeah. listening to the patient uh, so, or the client wh- whichever it is if it's a pra- um like a medical practice or or a wellness practice you know so just listening to people so that they can explain what's going on in their body because sometimes they're so out they don't even realize what's going on in their body so it's a very compound complex issue, this whole idea of behavior change. So how many people, from your experience, Howard, are actually successful in navigating through that on their own?
2: You know, there was a study done 40 years ago, which looked at people trying to change all sorts of behaviors, typically smoking, quitting drugs, eating. And across all of those behaviors, the long-term success rate was no more than 10%. No more than 10%. People may have lost a little bit for a while. They regained it. They may have quit smoking. They may have started. 10%. That is nothing. That is nothing compared to the health risks and the cost that go with maintaining a behavior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's an interesting study on quit smoking, for example. So this this study was done in Belgium, I believe. It was in Europe. They looked at people quitting smoking, and then they gave people who were trying to quit counseling. Would counseling make a difference? Would that help them be able to change their behavior? And what was interesting is counseling improved the success rate by 50%. Wow. That sounds like
1: a lot.
2: <laughs> Except the base rate success was 5%, so now it went to 7.5%. Right. <laughs> and like you know, it, It's really not significant. It's really not significant. And mm-hmm. because these interventions are not intense enough, they're not focused on really coaching people, educating them, but you've got to do more than educating. You've got to show them. You've got to coach them. You've got to give them motivation. You've got to pull that out of them. You've got to stay in touch with them. You've got to organize their social milieu so it's support. You've got to do all those things. And when you do those things, I think you're much more likely to be successful. Right. And, you know, it's just amazing that that really honestly hasn't been tried.
1: Right. And so why do you think it is that people are so unconcerned with their own wellness? Like, why do you think it requires so much of a lever or so many levers to help people to make long-lasting change? Like, what is it in people themselves that they are not interested in their own wellness?
2: I think part of it is they don't understand what it would take to make changes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people do not understand whether we're talking about money or what have you, they don't understand compounding. So if you said to a guy who can barely get off the sofa, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk for one minute today. That's all, one minute. And then over the next month, I want you just to add one minute every day. Okay? At the end of the month, he's walking half an hour, probably something he didn't imagine he could do. All right so so part of it is a totally distorted view of what you need to do small changes have big effects right, right. small and changes have big effects
1: they do absolutely I, and I coach that all the time we do a seven and a half minute walk away from the house and a seven and a half minute walk back to the house <laughs> really right, right. very very simple but you know walking correctly the other thing I'm always curious about is um but again, it's like lots of educated, well-educated you know, people who come from, it seems like a pretty solid background, struggle with the exact same things as the people who have struggled financially or grown up in you know, not so uh, hot circumstances. Do you think that this problem is sort of like wide-ranging and wide-sweeping, or does it have a bigger socioeconomic sort of underbelly to it?
2: Oh, there is no question that socioeconomic factors impact health. I mean, there's absolutely no question. So that's another issue. Um, You know, people don't have availability of the foods if you're living in a rather depressed area. They don't have the money, although. This is a misunderstanding. Um, Harvard did a study which so basically you could spend like two bucks a day more and significantly increase the healthiness of your food. So it's not like you need to go spend $500. You don't, but you can eliminate some things, buy other things that are healthier, and it doesn't have to cost you a fortune, but it's marketed that way. It's marketed yeah. that way, and it's marketed that medications are the thing that you really need. It's going to save you.
1: Yeah, and you were, uh, you were talking before the show about a particular um, study to do with Prozac. Can you share that one?
2: Yeah, well, this is really interesting because really what it comes down to is the pharmaceutical companies' control of medicine. Um, there's no question about that. It's been going on for years Um, For example, ADHD and ADD was originally called minimal brain dysfunction, but with a concerted push of the pharmaceutical industry, it was changed to attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. Now, how many people can relate to minimal brain dysfunction? Yeah, not many. How many can relate to not being able to pay a tend? Millions, okay? You just created a huge market and ADHD drugs, you know, I think in this country it's $13 billion a year. Yeah. Okay?
1: Yeah. I remember at the beginning of my counseling career, so this would be um, almost 30 years ago now and I was the youth counselor for a school division. And the very first year, there was one child on medication for ADHD, and by the third yeah. year, there was eighty. Like <laughs> just like yeah. that was, it, and that was not me making any recommendations. recommendations. for that. I didn't. I didn't right. see it as a. I didn't see it the way that the um, psychologist saw it at that time. So right. Um, right. I thought that there was behavioral changes that could have been made within the family um, mm-hmm. the system to help the child to be more successful, and the school system too was adapting to lots of different things. Anyway, it's, and so, not to segue off onto that, but just to go um, that this has been a very uh, intentional thing. So, for listeners to understand that, you know, as we're sharing this information, it is really from the point of view of um, wanting to get people to kind of wake up to their own wellness. And that we've been peddled a big line of stuff about that medication is going to fix everything. And it doesn't fix stuff in, for the most part. Um, there are very there are specific times when it does do things. So I don't want to throw everything under the bus, but in terms of <laughs> lifestyle changes, uh, medication has been shown to be really ineffective and to also um, lead to other problems that uh, complicate the first problem. You know, so instead of right. having just one problem, now you've got three problems. <laughs> uh, you know, not just within yourself but within the family. Uh, so this <clears> one <throat> encourage. People, as they're listening to think about it's really easy to be in the 90% because 90% is actually where most people are. So they are right. listening to think, well, if I'm in the 90%, then how do I change this? Right. I want to have a happier life or a better life.
2: Yeah, And um, there's a, a new study came out on a drug called rapatha, which is to help people who have heart disease issues, uh, cardiovascular disease. And this drug is, is very expensive. Um, some people have to pay $14,000 a year for it. And okay. the study just came out and said, Repatha, if you take rapatha, $14,000 of it a year, your mortality risk from cardiovascular disease goes down 15%. So if your risk was 50, it's now 42 and a half. Okay? Okay. So is that enough? The fact is, if you lose two BMI points, which is like 12 12 pounds, your cardiovascular mortality risk goes down at least as much as that, if not more. So this is what we have to face. You know, this is what we're dealing with. And part of it is people don't understand what lifestyle change can do. Mm-hmm. It, can, mm-hmm. it can do way more than many medications, certainly in the long term. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the long term. Yeah. Um, and so you had mentioned,
1: sorry. sorry. the big staggering impact of this uh, is not just that there's medication that you or somebody else or your tax money is paying. But the staggering implication of the amount of time that you spend in doctor's offices, um, mm-hmm. paying for parking, paying for days off of work. Um, our kids not being able to do stuff with us, like that's the ripple out of, of just not um, like getting the understanding or the knowledge or the feeling that you actually are the one that can control these, you know, things in your life. And all of this control really has also been marketed right out of our hands, um, that we for some reason believe that somebody else holds the magic vial uh, or elixir of what's going to fix us and our problems in our life.
2: Yeah, and then that combination of the fact that lifestyle change is the biggest, most effective thing you can do across the board. You might need some medication to manage some specific symptoms, but in terms of your overall health, lifestyle change is the most effective treatment for your risk of almost any condition. And you do have to take responsibility for it. People don't understand that, but they don't understand how powerful... (laughs) <laughs> Losing a few pounds and starting an ex- exercise regimen can be,
1: yeah, you know, and, and also if they realize that sometimes they're so discouraged because they've tried many times and not, it's not been successful, it's not stuck, and then you get stuck in the discouragement loop. And you worked with clients many years ago in your practice, um, you know, and you had lots of evidence of of things that worked and didn't work. But did you find that when people got discouraged, they
2: really it was hard to get them to come back? Yes. I mean, obviously, some people get discouraged, but part of good coaching for me is really understanding and what I call meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. You meet them where they're at. You try to understand what's meaningful to them, which from a neurological point of view is they have those neural pathways in the brain that are are hooked into certain things that are important to them. And if you can hook onto that, You've got a chance of really motivating them. And one of my favorite stories in my practice, there was a guy I was trying to help quit smoking back in London early on, and the guy was just impossible. He was also sort of an avid socialist, so I'd almost given up on him. But one day I saw him taking, you know, taking the uh, cigarettes, and, you know, putting money in the machine and taking the cigarettes out and putting them in his pocket, and I said to him. Uh, Bill, those capitalist tobacco companies have really got you by the you-know-what. Okay? <laughs> and you know what? He looked at me, he was shocked, and he quit there and then. Okay? Right. Okay, because that to him was very, very important. And now he's seeing this differently. Not, oh, Bill, you should quit. It's not good for you. That doesn't work for him. What works for him, what's important to him? Well, what's important is not being abused and used, in his terms, by, you know, excessive capitalist companies. And when you put it like that, man, he changed. Now, you can't always come up with wonderful things like that. It was just a fluke. But it does say that communication and learning how to communicate with people so you can meet them where they're at and bring them in is really a critical part of, of the coaching process. and again that really typically doesn't happen you know when you're talking to your gp or anyone else you know no no
1: so when we come back after the break we'll explore more about just how do we actually get some insight into our own wellness how do we get our medical team on board with us to help us have uh, the most successful life that we can have and look forward to seeing you after the break
4: if you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place think ketosis maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it well agonize no longer because there is a solution what could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins visit reallifetraining.expert to find out Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now.
3: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: are tuned in to master your life to reach leah madison dr howard rankin or their guest please call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to leah that's l-e-a-h-a at changeyourlife.expert now back to master your life Welcome back to
2: Master Your Life. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin along with my wonderful co-host, Leah Manson. And today we are talking about the value of real habit change in helping health that really lifestyle is medicine and the best medicine you could do is change your lifestyle habits and when you do some amazing things happen we'd be talking about that's not always easy but our view that if you have people can help you coach you then the success rate would go way up and would be amazing because it would transform healthcare, uh and it would save you know gazillions of dollars and it would actually get people doing what they need to do now Leah you lost 100 pounds and more importantly you kept it off so you know about those challenges what was about it what was it about your situation that allowed you to maintain that loss
1: yeah I think what, so I lost my weight about 17 years ago and, um you know, much to my horror, I was over 240 pounds. And I say this for myself, for my own, uh, d- just vision of how I wanted my life to be. And I had had my second child at that time. And I was looking at my little guy who was 18 months old at the time and going, I'm going to be that mom that actually never wants to take the kids to the pool. Like, this is going to have a big impact on my life. And, <laughs> and it, it can't, <laughs> and, and I took that very seriously and it made me cry. Like, I just thought, this is. It's not. This is not all right, Leah Mattinson. Like you get, so it was mm-hmm. very much an observer looking at me, going, "You can, you can have and be much better and have a really happy life." And in that moment, I just went, eh, "I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not stuffing myself with food because I, you know, have had some things in the past that haven't been that hot." Um, just like many people, I mean, I experienced sexual abuse when I was young. Um, I had, you know, just you know, multiple things. I think in life, you know, you move out of home and you, you, know, you think university is going to be easy and life's going to be easy and then it isn't and you end up, you know, kind of going back to old behaviors that, that nurture you. Uh, um, so for me, it was just going, I can't live my life like this with these little people. I have a responsibility <coughs> to make their life better, to be a better mom. So immediately, as soon as I had that thought, I just knew that if I, I was really simple and ate when I was hungry and stopped when I was full, but that required me to listen to my physiology of my body. And going, like, what does hungry actually even mean? Because it had been so long since I would allowed my stomach to growl. I didn't even know what that was. It was, like, I think 36 hours until my stomach growled. And then I went. It was, like, this really acute um, process for me of really looking at how my body processed stuff. And then a full-on assault. Because I had been a coach, an athletic coach, for several years prior. um, And had always had a weight problem. And always had disordered eating so i had this very um, odd sort of really successful coaching practice and then my own bad behaviors going and undermining uh, also my confidence and how and my self-respect and so going like is that actually how you want to feel your whole life so i journaled a lot um, and when i and i started walking and i there was lots of other things that i did day to day that implemented those little daily habits but when i lost the weight when i lost 100 pounds i booked a surgery for an abdominoplasty And uh, because I had a lot of excess skin, and I had worked in um, healthcare just for a little, like uh, probably two or three months when I was a teenager, helping to take care of people that were living in uh, like an extended care sort of facility. And what I'd seen is all of the problems that were created by having all this extra skin, like lots of illnesses, lots of bed sores, and like just, it was terrible. So the very first thing I did was went, uh, I have been terrible to my body, and now I'm being really good to my body, and I'm going to continue uh, to be good to my, my body and put it in a position of being back to 100% before I did all this stuff that was actually really not good. Uh, and so that's what I did. So because I made like the 100% commitment to never, ever gaining that weight back through my actions, I think that's actually what kept me throughout the years from ev- ever sort of going back. Um, but there's always been daily habits and, you know, new obstacles that come up. And then I go, well, what's my range of okay of where to be in my life for you know, my weight and my wellness and, and how I show up in the world? And I live within that range very diligently. Uh, so so that's how I've been able to keep mine off. But journaling has definitely been, you know, a big part of that and just a little other daily habits that I implement.
2: Yeah, that's great because you hooked in to meaning in your life, like mm-hmm. what sort of mother do you want to be, mm-hmm. right? And that's yeah. obviously was very powerful for you, so you used that to motivate you, and then you got out and did it. And, and you know, behavior change is about action. Mm-hmm. You can't think yourself out of it, you've got to do it because it's the action and the behavior that changes what is going on in the brain which is what you have to do so you absolutely have to take action um you can think about it all you want but ultimately you have to make that the change comes from behavior and it comes from action and again we can just get people to do that they would be way more successful yeah. way more successful and way more healthy
1: for- People get hooked into philosophizing about things and contemplating way too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, so they think it too much. I'm gonna contemplate this for a while. I'm gonna see if it's a fit for me, I'm gonna, and then we get tapped into that whole emotional side of us, and our emotional side of us wants to eat cookies, like <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I'm cheating, right. but there is a lot of that, you know. The <laughs> we get hooked into that emotional thing, and then we go, oh, um, all the all the cognitive dissonance comes up of oh, I don't have the time to do that. And, Oh, I'm pretty sure tomorrow's a better day to start. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I can put it off for 24 hours. It's no big deal. Yeah, and then we just sit for another day. Uh, So it's that being able to shut that that emotional sort of chit-chat off and Mm -hmm. get out of our personality, what I call the personality, getting out of your personality and going, what is it that this body needs to do if I was to stand outside myself and look at myself? What is it this body needs to do to actually really experience joy? And so, I experience joy. It's like people go, well, is that about being well? Absolutely. Because if you're well, you can experience Uh joy. You know, you're not living in fear of cardiovascular disease or of what's the doctor going to say the next time or your clothes not fitting because that's self-talk and going, well, I don't want to be that person. You know, so we tap into fear and then the emotional loop starts again and we stay Uh hooked in. As weird as it sounds, we stay hooked into mistreating ourselves. it's just the strangest thing to watch us do it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) No, and that's really where a coach who's on top of the game is keeping in touch with you, encouraging you, texting you, finding what you've done today. Have you done it? Um, and, And putting, you know, you to the fire, holding your head to the fire. You have to do that. That's what it's all about. It's not about what I did yesterday. It's change now. That's mm-hmm. what changes the brain and makes it easier. And you have to do that for some time. You, you know, you hear this thing, oh, it takes 21 days to change a habit. Uh, no, it doesn't. Probably takes a year to, to really develop a habit that's robust so that mm-hmm. if you stop it for a day, you'll pick it up again. Mm-hmm. Something you've done for 21 straight days and you stop, chances are you won't pick it up again. So, yeah. it, you know, it is just keep on doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's when we need help. That's where we need coaching help, to people to encourage us, to remind us what we're trying to do, why we're doing it. Um, and true. I think that would make a big, big difference to people, you know? Yeah, it's true. too difficult to do on your own.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's really changed since I went through my, the big transition is technology has been introduced. So you know, it used to be you'd have to get together in weight loss groups you know, mm-hmm. in community or or wherever it was. And I'm just using that as a frame of yeah. reference because I'm sure mm-hmm. I belong to every single one of those at some point in my life <laughs> early on. <laughs> and so going to these things that, you know, but uh, because it, it's like trying to like, get that community support, but also it's like understanding what our local sort of experience is, you know, all, what we experience in our life daily yeah, is what feeds us. So our senses are that local sort of stuff that we take in all of our information through our senses. So if we're in a place, you know, whether there's cinnamon, bun, uh, cinnamon buns or carrots, you know, then mm-hmm. we would go for the cinnamon buns. A lot of people, that would be the choice. And, and then figuring those pieces out on your own of going, mm, how do I decide how, what to eat and not eat in my pantry? But now, with the advent of technology, just even over the last five years, you can find all kinds of support online. So you can have an intervention in the moment if you choose to do that in your life. Like, you can introduce mm-hmm. all these supports that just did Mm -hmm. not exist, you know, even five years ago. Um, So there's lots of really good good examples of that. And we've had guests on our show that have certainly talked about, you know, kind of the technology side of things and how to leverage and use that to keep us on track. You know, Fitbit is a good example, and I'll just throw that one out because I know lots of people that have those. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't myself personally, but when people are, you know, it's like tracking steps every day. See tons yep. of people with just pedometers going. Oh, like I did twenty-five thousand steps, and when I started, I couldn't do you know four. <laughs> right.
2: Correct. Yeah, and now that sort of yes. feedback is very important and reinforcing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, a few years ago, I was doing this project in Kansas City. So it was about four or five years ago. And I was talking to a doctor who's really into technology. And he had devised like a weight loss group where people could go on and show people in the group what they were going to eat or what they had eaten and get responses from people about, oh, good choice. or what are you thinking of? He said it was the best tool for helping people lose weight he'd ever seen.
1: Wow. hey? Awesome. So, so did, they have, yeah. did they actually have like um, analytics done on it? Because that's the other thing with tech is they can do it. You can do it. analytics on technology. It's not sort
2: of subjective, mm-hmm. or, you know. Right. It, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, just that, I, but I think that the social milieu, the support feeling you're doing this with other people, you know, adds a whole another dimension of motivation and it makes mm-hmm. it fun and you feel more responsible and accountable And that's going to help. Yeah, it's just going to help. So, um, you know, there is technology isn't used, I don't think, anywhere near as well as it could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't think that it is. Yeah. Part of that is uh, uh, HIPAA and privacy and sharing information, which is overblown, I think. Part of that is licensing. Okay, if I'm a, co- a psychologist in Virginia, can I, you know, text somebody in Texas? So there is some sort of bureaucratic barriers to that, which is really a shame. But you look at the use of what could be done, text messaging, particularly photos. It could, it could be a really valuable tool and is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we see people
1: using that sort of stuff on social platforms also. So, um, and there's lots of examples, definitely. We had an issue here in Canada just recently, but it got fixed, which was like people wouldn't be able to get insurance if they had specific types of health problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but finally, we got legislation through just recently that actually, you know, prohibits the um, insurance companies from asking any questions about anyone's genetic status or, or that sort of thing, which is actually like very inhibitory. And um, right. yeah, right. so now it's like people can share information freely. But up until that point, people absolutely did not talk about
2: Didn't it. They want to. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and privacy is a big issue. So the, unfortunately, bureaucracy and politics gets in the way of that. But it's really sad because we do have all these tools that would help people do what they need to do, change their lifestyle behaviors, which would be huge for them in so many and we, ways.
1: And we've really focused in on the whole nutrition and eating and athletic thing. But maybe we should talk a little bit about the, you know, still ongoing problem of smoking. Um, <laughs> I smoked yeah. when I was young. <laughs> and, uh-huh, and it was probably I quit a couple of times along the way, and then I think when I finally quit the last time, I was probably about I was in my thirties for sure, and uh but it was like sticking carrot the first time I bought my first car, so I decided I would quit smoking until I paid the car off so four years <clears> four <throat> years later almost to the day I started smoking again <laughs> Isn't uh, crazy? it's just like no oh my is. God seriously, it is much, and then i you know smoked for a couple of years and then I quit again, and then i started playing uh like, literally, I started curling with a bunch of girls in, well, women uh, in Alberta where I live. And they all smoked. So, it's like I hadn't smoked for several years by that point. But So, I thought, oh, I'll have a smoke and I drink with them. You know, it's just a social cigarette. Oh, my God. So, another eight months later, I'm still smoking away. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it took no. me, I moved. I moved to another community and another job. And I, you know, re-identified with the non-smoker. Like, it's, it's it was so bizarre. I'd be running and smoking.
2: <laughs> that's not good.
1: No, yeah, that, <laughs> my lungs are working overtime. But but so let's talk a little bit about smoking because it, it's a big struggle, um, and it's still a big struggle even though we know all of the health problems associated
2: with it. Well, the the, the rate of smoking in the U.S. And, and presumably Canada too has gone down from like twenty percent to fifteen or sixteen percent. So it's definitely gone down. Um, but there's still a lot of people smoking, and in other countries. Uh, particularly less developed countries, the smoking rate is ridiculous. I mean, it's like 50%. It's ridiculous. Right. Right. So, um, you know, with all, with everything we know about the ill effects of smoking, I mean, like, if you're, if you're smoky, you have a 90% greater chance of getting lung cancer than if you're not. Um, with all that stuff, you know, I guess it's people... Are able to convince themselves that they need it and this is good for them, but that's total baloney. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're you're really killing yourself. Right. You know, let's not beat around the bush. You know, you, you're killing yourself. So definitely, one of the biggest things people could do is quit smoking. Mm-hmm. It would make, and the evidence actually is, if you quit smoking early enough, like um, uh, uh, in before your forty or early forties, you can actually get your disease risks. Sort of to a, like a non-smoker, so you've got time if you quit early enough to reduce the risks that you had as a result of smoking. So that's good news. Right. You can quit, and you can if you quit early enough, you can minimise the effects of your previous smoking, which is really cool. Yeah,
1: and the reason for that is because we, of course, are regenerating new cells, and our body is regenerated every how many years? Like it's. It, it, there is a statistical or there is a number attached to that. I don't know if it's like nine years or three years or what it is, but all of those, all of the cells in your body are replaced. Right. So that is, that is why the risk is diminished. is because you've actually grown a new set of, you know, right. um, um, cells. You know, right. so what is it that you're putting into each one of these cells and why that matters? So when people are kind of saying, they're going, well, how does that reduce my risk? Is it only because I'm not smoking? No, it's because your body is regenerating itself all the time. And right. so by not having these harmful things in your body and um, whether that's, you know, too much sugar, and I never want to say sugar because I think there's sugars that are okay. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, by reducing sugar and eliminating smoking and increasing your oxygenation of your body, um, that again, living, you're, you're replacing your cells with that information.
2: Yeah, and one of the reasons that as you get older, quitting isn't as effective is that cellular regeneration slows down, it's not as effective, and so you don't get the effect that you do if you quit, you know, when you're 40, when, if you quit when you're 65. And so, you know, those are important things for people to understand, and again, quitting smoking would be the single biggest thing that people who are smokers could do for their health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's possible
1: and and why do people want to live longer because people are going oh it seems like a lot of work (laughs) to quit smoking and get all this exercise thing going on and watch what i eat and have some discipline like what is it why why do i want to be here
2: (laughs) well that's a very interesting question um and you can see people who might be somewhat depressed saying i don't care you know if i die at 61 i don't care you know which is I don't know whether that's true. Wait till they get to 61 and they're on their deathbed. They may change their mind. But, but this speaks to anxiety and depression and the ability to think a little more positively. And we know that anxiety and depression are the two biggest factors around the world that inhibit happiness. The two things that inhibit happiness. And so how do we treat anxiety and depression? Well, let's save that one. For the other side of the break, because there's interesting stories about the approval of antidepressants uh, for people who are depressed.
4: If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well. Manage your mood. Clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now.
3: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life.
1: Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm host Leah Matins along with my co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. And before the break, we were talking about why it is that people have given up uh, on their changing their lifestyle so that they can experience a better um, better happiness and access joy. So the I've given up is because people are experiencing uh, records amount, record amounts of anxiety and depression. It's the biggest reason why people don't engage in lifestyle change and the biggest reason why um, they don't sustain it? So, Howard, before the break, you had uh, hinted that there's been approval of some drugs for anxiety and depression, and and so maybe you could just talk a little bit more about what that is.
2: Yeah, and this is interesting because I um, this week I came across a book uh, out of the UK called The Sedated Society, mm. uh, which is written by a number of people who are health professionals and in the assessment of psychopharmacology. And it's just a fascinating, fascinating book. So, for example, one of the things that people may not know is that when Prozac came out, which was supposed to increase the amount of serotonin in the brain, that was the thing, and that's been going for 30 years, that we need to increase serotonin in the brain. Do you know there is no research whatsoever that proves that depression is about low serotonin levels in the brain. No. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and Especially. so when Prozac when, Proz, when Prozac came out um and there were drug trials mm-hmm. um it was approved based on a study of 280 patients on the drug for 6 to 8 weeks. Now, people are on these medications for decades, and here it is being proved just for a few weeks' use with questionable validity as why you should do that. And also interesting that these guys in the sedated society, if anyone's interested in this topic, you would do well to get a copy of that book. What they actually said was that during those trials of Prozac, some of the patients were switched between groups, which is totally unethical. no-no. You can't do that. Um, And moreover, 25% of the people given Prozac were also given a tranquilizer because previous studies had shown that Prozac might increase suicidal thoughts, and that wasn't revealed either. So... You have a drug being approved where there really isn't a lot of basis for using it. It's not been properly tested. It's on a small group of people with questionable research design, to say the least. And yet, here it is, probably the drug that's prescribed, you know, the various iterations of SSRIs prescribed, you know, here we are 30 years later. And it's scary.
1: It's scary. And so, how many people have been prescribed? Like, is there? Does it show the U.S. um, statistics for how many people have been prescribed that kind of medication?
2: Oh, it's it's millions and millions Mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I Mm can look it up now, but it's millions and millions
1: of people. Yeah. And so, when you, I just think that it's absolutely staggering to think. Um, And this is not philosophical. This is hard evidence. Um, So people who go, oh, that's just you know mumbo jumbo. It's like some sort of myth, and somebody's blowing. It's an urban legend. Da da da. They can't possibly want to give us all that medication when they know that it it isn't backed up by solid research. So um, the I think the point that needs to be made here that's critical is that that particular book is backed up by scientific you know research and documentation. So that's why it would be incredibly important for people to read something like that that's just giving a little bit more support to, um, the, you know, that the idea that we, if, if we are off of these things, um, and that we figure out how to manage our own lives, we take back control also, um, and I think, yeah, we take back control of our wellness, because with taking medication, you know, neuroscience has confirmed that new behaviors are initially controlled by areas of the brain that are involved in higher function. And what are those? And then if you're on medication for depression you Can you even tap into those areas of the brain to develop these new behaviors?
2: Right. Well, that's a really good question. I should say that if you are on antidepressants that are prescribed or any medication that are prescribed, um, you know, don't take our word for us. You do need to check with your prescribing um, physician about what you should do with them not us um, but that's a really in- another interesting question about a lot of drugs and particularly antidepressants when people try to come off them if they've been on them for two years or three years what they end up having is a you know a withdrawal effect because their brains got used to it so they have a withdrawal effect and they feel crummy and so the doctor says oh well you see that's why you need to stay on them not necessarily it's a withdrawal effect. In a week, it might go away. There's definitely a discontinuation syndrome, but that has been assumed, oh, well, that means, therefore, that you really need it. Under that, on that basis, you'd never withdraw anyone from anything. Right, you know, right. you would say,
1: sorry, my head held.
2: you know, you would say, oh, well, you know, I'm an alcoholic, but whenever I stop, I feel terrible. Oh, well, then you <laughs> must need the alcohol. Don't stop, right? It, it, it's the same logic. It's mm-hmm. the same logic. So I, I think what this is saying is people do need to be more active in looking at the information that's out there and, and trying. It's not always easy. Uh, I mean, a lot of fake news and stuff like that out there. But consult with a physician um about this physicians may not may or may not know the all the in-depth stuff here but certainly consult with your physician explain the concerns you have am i going to be on this forever because it's kind of tough to come off it how do i know i need to be on it is it really working what would happen if i were off it you know so it, it, it's very complex and it's complex but people need to understand they have a role, a responsibility, and an opportunity to to look at what's going on, try to get information, and make decisions with a qualified practitioner about you know what they should do with medications. Because you know, as you know, you know, people are on medications for years, and it's not clear that they really need to be on them.
1: And right? sometimes multiple medications. And I can yep. I can attest to this when nine years ago, when I got my genetic status for having Huntington's disease, the um, the neuro, um, neuro physician that I was with at that time said, take creatine. And I said, well, what does that mean? How much? And he said, well, I don't really know because there's no evidence that it works, but that's the, <laughs> best, that's the best hope. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I've left. There is my medical plan. Um, right. So, so, right. But, uh, but I've also been really lucky in my life to have had a lot of people who are, or maybe it's not luck. It's my intention is to be well. So um, right. these people right. come into my life that continue to lead me down the path of wellness. And I keep learning more. Um, But one of the things that I learned because of that experience, probably the most important thing I learned because of that experience was you need to be your own physician in this, Leah, and you Mm -hmm. need to actually go home and educate yourself as much as is humanly possible about the brain, about Mm -hmm. what is Huntington's, how does it kill off brain cells, what are the ways to not have your brain cells killed off, and all of those things always came back to the same stuff, lifestyle as medicine. Right. And right. you know the few things to not take because they can you know cause you know an excitatory response in your brain cells and kill them off. But I knew that more than the doctors did. So mm-hmm. when they sure. suggest when they would suggest something, I would go, I, I'm not taking that. I don't need to do that. Like there's and, and I'm not going down that path. Uh, so so our and we had we've had guests on that have spoken about that too. Joni Aldrich, uh, who is been talking about can- cancer advocacy and care um the eyes who've been on talking about lifestyle as medicine and how uh we affect we do affect how our genetics express themselves um but we our job is to be responsible in educating ourselves about um not only the maladies that we have but on the uh, the other side that's the cooler side of things i think is how do you actually be as well as possible like we've been given this an incredible body when we arrive on the planet so for those of you who've had children <laughs> You, you look at that. You look at that little one, and you go, "Holy smokes, this thing is perfect." And then somehow, <laughs> by the time, for the most part, you know, babies are born pretty perfect. And by the time you know we're you know two or three, we've got all kinds of things going on um, uh, right. that are that are problematic. Um, but but when we come here, we're perfect, and our, our body our body is self healing. You know, so how what's the wisdom behind that, and how do we develop more of that? Because we're not taught that. We're taught Go to the doctor to fix X Y Z. We're right. not told go to your internal knowing and you know mm. look at other people who are well and what are they doing and replicate what they do and replicate the people who are the most well, you know uh, you know physically, mentally, um, emotionally well. Those people replicate what they're doing as opposed to oh I got an yeah. and uh, and I'm not minimizing that there are some significant things that need to be taken care of medically. Um, but the common sense of things now has changed to very much be as soon as there's some sort of, I feel a little bit sad, um, or things are not quite right, I need to go to the doctor, and their automatic response is not to talk to you. It's to write a prescription. So, like, how yeah when you're given devastating news, when you've gone through um, a hurricane, um, when you're going through the birth of your child, (laughs) like, all of these things that are big life challenges, what are the people, what are the skills that people have learned to be able to navigate those changes successfully and feel good in themselves, and what are the skills that have yet to be learned in people that are, like, um, you know, that, that it's the panic attack every time something new happens in their life.
2: Yeah, yeah, and again, referencing this book, The Sedated Society, there's some really interesting quotes by some of the authors in there. There's a professor from Copenhagen who said, the medical model of mental health has been a disaster, That's his words. Mm -hmm. A disaster. And another guy, a psychologist from Liverpool in the UK, um, argues we need to get psychiatrists out of the business of mental health Mm -hmm. because all they do is write prescriptions and that's not what we need. So it's interesting. There's a lot of, you know, there is well-recognized people who know what they're talking about who are really saying what we're saying and we're getting it from them that, you know, this is crazy. Right. It's crazy. Whether right. we're talking about mental health, or whether we're talking about physical health, we know what people need to do, and we know how to help them do it.
1: Right. Uh, so we talked talk a little bit about, um, you know, if you go to your doctor, then what do you do next? If you're, if you're not quite convinced that you're getting the best um, direction or guidance, you know, one of the things is second opinion. Well, where do you get a second opinion and, and like, do you request to go to another physician, or like, what would be some other strategies, Howard, that people can do, um, you know, that would help to get them going in the right direction?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I certainly think a second opinion is is really a good idea. Um, you know, they may sit, say know know somebody whose physician is is not. Um, first thing they do is not prescribe medication. You know, um, and you, you can even go talk to your pharmacist too, about medications, because they know a lot about medications. Um, so it is about trying to find, and goodness knows there's enough information online that you can look. If you Googled effectiveness of SSRIs, you know, a lot of stuff would come up uh, there. Um, so we are living in a world where you can do some of your own research, but but for most people, they're not medically trained, and so they do need to rely on people they trust in the medical profession.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you write a blog regularly, Howard, right? What's your blog that people can come and check out and it just kind of dissects some of the uh, distorted thinking that we're all dealing with day to day..
2: yeah, typically the blog that deals with that is is uh, on I think therefore I'm wrong.com and um, it, you know it covers all sorts of things, but it but it really tries to look at things in the news that are fallacies, um, that sort of highlight, illogical thinking and, and the way we operate. So I have fun with that. So probably that's the blog that if people were interested in that, I think. Therefore I'm wrong dot com.
1: Wonderful. And people can also text real life to 1587 800 4323 to check out what we're doing at Real Life Training about Lifestyle is Um, medication and we'll be running webinars starting mid-October of this year uh, helping people to assess and address just those things increase motivation, creating customized goals, um, providing accountability and reinforcement, you know getting a social group together that's dealing with the same things and the same obstacles um, improving self-efficacy and and developing yourself an observer so if that's something that sounds like it would be uh, helpful to you then please come to and text real life to 1 800 or 1 587
2: 800 4323. So, okay. have any final words? No, no. Uh, I, it's interesting because this show has summarized a lot of some uh, some of the other guests we've had who've been talking uh, about lifestyle as medicine. You know, from David Katz to Dean and Aisha um to Kevin Carter at the uh, Hilton Head Health, and and so this is you know I, I think this was a good show that um, helped us um, really focus on those issues of lifestyle as medicine. So good job. Yeah.
1: Wonderful, and some parting thoughts just to think to yourself this week. I am well, I am wonderful, uh, I am perfect, I am joyful, I am fearless, and we hope that this leads you to having a wonderful week and mastering your own life.
0: Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life.